And thank you guys for not running for the exits as soon as you heard I was sharing the word today. That, I appreciate that. That's really, it's really nice of you guys. You know, there are so many times where I would uh, hear a finance preach or a teaching series, and just being honest and vulnerable, I would, I would slide down in my seat a little bit. My hand would just kind of make its way into my pocket over my wallet, just in case the person would reach out and just kind of take my wallet or try to pickpocket <laughs> me, you know? And that's just me being vulnerable, and I promise you I will not do that, okay? There's no agenda here, there's no plan or, or purpose other than just trying to share my personal experience and God's word with, with each of you. And so I'm excited about this series. This is the second part of our two-part series on resources redeemed, God's plan for our finances. And specifically, I thought about you know, Mark's preach a couple of weeks ago, and it was just this incredible talk about our identity in Jesus, that that's the foundation of everything that 100% of what we have comes from Jesus, and we're going to build on that foundation. Last week, I don't know if anyone was here for Testimony Sunday, but it was incredible. Four incredible testimonies of God's incredible mercy, his faithfulness, taking steps of faith, and his, his abundant love for us as he blessed us. <clears throat> and I know personally for me, <clears throat> I felt like that raised my faith. I felt like my faith was growing, and I wanted more. I wanted more of God. I wanted to step into more. And I asked God, God, how can I step into that more? <clears throat> and what he said is, is that you have to let go of certain things in order to embrace more. That he had so much for us, but there were things that I was holding on to that were getting in the way. Now, I'm a Christian, right? I love Jesus. I'm an elder in the church. But God showed me that there were areas in my life where I was, I was acting and behaving like an atheist that I was functionally like an atheist in certain areas of my life. And I'm just being real, that those areas of my life were areas where I had idols in them. Now, when I think of idols, my first response was, oh, God, what? What are, you, what are you saying here? What, what do you mean I have idols in my life? You know, when I think of idols, I think of the Israelites, right? Thousands of years ago, worshiping a golden calf. Or I think of the Israelites in the time of Hezekiah, where there were Asherah poles and big wooden poles and monuments that they would worship. And I would always think when I would read that, how foolish is it to worship a piece of wood or a stone or, or a golden calf? It didn't make any sense to me. <clears throat> and then I was praying into it, and I realized that, that that was common and familiar to them. You see, God brought them from the time of Egypt, and, and he was in this cloud and pillar of smoke, right? A month or two ago, we had this huge Exodus series. And he was providing them manna from heaven and quail and rivers of living water in the desert. And every step of the way, God was blessing them and providing for them in signs and wonders and miracles. And he was leading them into this promised land where they would have even more than they even asked for. But yet they worshipped this golden calf. And I asked God, why were they doing that? And as I looked into it and did some more research, I realized that it was common in Egypt to do that. They would worship these graven images of bulls. And the Hebrew people at that time, it was common for them to worship um, graven images of, of bulls and calves, things of that nature. You see, when testing times come, sometimes we go back to what's familiar, what's convenient, what feels safe. You know, idols in our life, it sounds like this, this big thing, but it, there are a lot of things in our lives that are familiar and safe. You see, an idol is anything that we worship, that we ascribe worth to, that provides our safety, our security our identity, our value, our hope, our future. See, God can provide all those things. But if something else is rivaling God for that, then it's something that, that doesn't have a place in my life. 
And God showed me that there were areas in my life that I had those idols. And today I want to specifically talk about idols in a financial realm. You see, the Bible talks about a spirit of mammon. And in Aramaic, mammon means riches. And there is a spiritual force of riches that seeks to distract us. You know, the enemy doesn't care what we worship as long as it's not God. It doesn't really matter to him. You can worship him. You can worship a golden calf. You can worship uh, a piece of paper. You can worship a metal coin. It doesn't really matter. As long as you're not worshiping God, he's all right. Because it's distracting us. It's taking us away from what God would have us do. And I had this picture of I'm get, getting emotional here. I'm getting choked up, you know, as I'm talking. This, this hits close to home, you know. This is, this is hitting close to home. It's, but <clears throat> I had this picture of, of, like, filling up a bath. And, you know, you have this fountain, and then you have the drain. And if the drain is up, you can, you can put on the fountain as, as much as you, you want, but it's never really going to fill up. You'll get some water in there, but it'll never be overflowing, right? The faster the water flows, just the quicker it'll drain out. And God showed me that that's what was happening with me that there were idols in my life that were acting like drains that were just t- competing with God. And God in Exodus 20 said, you shall have no other gods beside me. That's not just for his benefit, but it's for our benefit, right? Because in John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus says, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God comes so that we may have life and have it abundantly. You see, not having idols is for our benefit. And so... When I, when I prayed and I said, God, please open my eyes, I, I didn't realize that this was there. He gave me three questions and then three answers and three solutions. I'm going to, sh- at least for me, and I, I think it'll be a- applicable because it's biblical, so um, hopefully it's helpful for you too. So why should we have this talk, right? Why, why would we talk about finances in a church? I mean, this is, I mean, this is a good question. This is something I wrestle with. You know, my first response is to shy away from finances, you know, I don't want to talk about finances in a church context because, you know, we're, we're chasing after God. But you know what would really encourage me to share this talk with, with courage is that, and despite my quivering lip, you know, I, I do feel courageous, you know, right, right now, is because Jesus talked about finances. A third of his parables, nearly a third, dealt with finances directly. More than heaven and hell, he talked about finances. Now, he didn't talk about it because he cared so much about it. Right, he led a life where he was completely dependent on God. It says in uh, John 12, where Judas was the money keeper, and he would help himself to the money on time and time again. So Jesus didn't even handle the money. He didn't, he was, he didn't leave a life that was so focused on money, but he talked so much about it because we cared so much about it, because the people around him cared so much about it, because they were so heavy burdened by it. They were fearful. They were controlled by the finances. They were being led astray. They were being distracted. They felt in control and self-sufficient. And he's talked about it so that they could be free and they could have that life and have it abundantly so they could know God in a deeper way. You see, in Isaiah 30, God says he longs to be gracious to us. He longs to be gracious to us. He's not the one holding back from us. You know, in the worship today, when, we, when they were singing the Holy Spirit uh, song, it said, nothing compares to your presence. No thing can compare to God's presence. And that's so true. I've never met one thing that compares in any way to the incredible presence of God. There's no insecurity there. There's nothing but just love and acceptance in that presence. And I want it more. 
and I'm unashamedly wanted more. And I w- I'm happy to let go of anything that could, that could help me step into and help me to embrace that more. But let's start with the word, right? Because you don't really care about my perspective. You know, look, care about God's perspective, you know, because I'm not just here to, this is not a TED talk, right? I'm not talking to you about a, a point that I think is important. I want to go into the word of God. And so if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6, 19 to 21 and 24. You see, Jesus is very clear. He's not confusing. He's not trying to trick you. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. See, that's why Jesus talks so much about this. It's because he cares about our hearts. Because what we treasure, that's where our hearts are. And that's what, he come, that's what he came for. He came for our hearts. He came for us to embrace him and know a love that we would have never otherwise known. And he, go on, he goes on to say in verse 24, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, in Luke uh, chapter 14, no, actually, verse, chapter 16, verse 14, it adds a, a different picture here. It talks about the Pharisees' response. And it says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money ridiculed Jesus. Can you imagine that? Jesus is sitting right in front of you. And he's talking to you. And he's trying to help you step into more. And you ridicule him? The people, the very people put in charge of ushering people into a relationship with God, ridiculed Jesus. You see, idols do something to our hearts. They harden our hearts. They blind us. We can't hear God as clearly as we would otherwise hear, even when he's right in front of our face. So the first question that God asked me, <clears throat> this, is, this is hitting close to home here, guys. This is it. I'm just going to be real. I'm going to be vulnerable here. Is the first question is, are Matt's, are you more concerned about treasures in this world or treasures in heaven? And it was like a dagger that just kind of went right into me, you know. But, you know, God's gentle conviction. But it, it hit close to home because I realized that I, I actually do spend more time thinking about treasures in this world than treasures in heaven. You know, once in a while I'll say, yeah, yeah, treasures in heaven. That sounds good. But most of the time I'm thinking about treasures in this world and how I can get more or how I can prevent from losing, losing it or, or any number of things. See, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of uh, many kinds of evil. And then in Hebrews 13.5 it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see, God doesn't just say, keep away from the love of money. He says, keep away from it because it's the source of many evils, and it can lead you away from the faith, and you can be pierced by many griefs. He doesn't just say, stay away from the love of money. He says, because I am here, 
and I will never leave you or forsake you. Don't have a rival for you, in your heart for me because I'm so much better than this. You know, I'm a, I'm, as, as Mark said, shared, I'm a, a physician and this hits close to home for me because I've seen many people at the end of their lives. And it, hopefully it's not because I'm a bad physician that <laughs> I've seen so many people at the end of their lives. But I, hopefully I'm, I'm reasonable, you know? But, but then again, none of my patients have lived forever. So, you know, you never know. But it, it is called the practice of medicine. And so I'm, I'm still practicing, guys. I'm still, I'm still working at it, okay? But one of the things I've seen time and time again is that every person whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they have a lot or a little, they all realize things at the end of their lives. And I've had the privilege of, of sharing in some of those realizations with people. You see, almost everybody realizes that what they have spent so much time in their lives thinking about actually matters very little. And what they spent so little of their time thinking about actually, actually matters a great deal. And one of the greatest fears in my life, my life, is to come to the end of my life and say, God, you had a, a plan for my life, you had a call upon my life, and I was distracted. I just lived out my life. I just was chasing after things that you never asked me to chase after. And that, that motivates me, motivates me to want more, want the more that God has. You know, one patient that I had in particular really kind of clarified this point to me. You see, he was a billionaire patient, okay? If... If I told you his name, you would know his name. And so I won't tell you his name, right? He had, he was fa he's famous, and he had everything you could ask for. He had billions of dollars. And one day, and his, his safety, his security, his identity, his value, his hope, his future came from that. And it worked for him for a while. But then one day he had a stroke, and he was paralyzed on the right side of his body. And he couldn't talk but he could still understand what you were saying. And he just had this look of regret over his face, and I was trying to, trying to help him, but I couldn't communicate with him. He couldn't write, he couldn't talk. And so I called as many family members as I could find in any of his records, and I didn't hear back from anyone. And I would go to his, his hospital room every day multiple times, trying, just trying to meet somebody or run into somebody, and for days, nobody. And then finally one day, I ran into someone who looked like his son, and I said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I need to talk to you about your dad. And he said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not his son. I said, well, who are you? He said, I'm uh, a representative of his estate. And I said, I don't understand what you mean. He said, you see, the family has hired me to manage his affairs. And I said, I, I still don't understand what you mean. What do you mean they hired you to manage his affairs? And he said, well, okay. You see, the family, is just, they're just waiting for him to die so they can carve up his estate. And all of a sudden, that look of just regret on his face made sense to me. You see, the idol in his life, that love of money, it didn't actually get him anywhere. It just came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he realized it. He realized that the, the things he spent so much of his life focused on mattered very little at that moment. So, God, I, I, so I asked God, I prayed, and I said, God, what is my response to this? How can I stay away from that? Because I don't want that. I know my heart is easily distracted. I know I can, I can get personally get uh, caught up in the love of money. And so God's response to me was tithing. You see, God says, talks about tithing from Genesis, Proverbs, Malachi, Acts, Revelation. 
you know. It's pretty much all throughout the Bible, you know. But it's something I kind of just conveniently seem to gloss over. Every, every part, I just kind of skip over that one part. And, and I just, I'm like, do you talk about this? I don't know. Does, does, this, does this come up, God? And he's like, yeah, all, all throughout the Bible. You see, in, in Genesis 14, when Abraham uh, rescues Lot from uh, his captors, uh, he has this incredible treasure that, that he gets after defeating these five kings. And he goes to the high priest, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, it says later in Hebrews, that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. He is like our high priest of that order. And Abraham goes to him and gives 10% of everything he just had. And he submits it to him and says, you know, for the advancing of the kingdom. He didn't go to Melchizedek and say, I want you to do this with it and that and this. He said, no, for God. Because Abraham knew that 100% of what he had came from God. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Acts 4.34-37 said, time, of t- time to time, people would sell their land and lay it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas sold a piece of land in Cyprus and just laid it at the apostles' feet. In Revelation, it says the 24 elders took their crown of glory and would lay it before the throne and would worship God. But I want to dive in a little deeper in Malachi 3.6-12 because this is something that God really kind of caught my heart with. So God is speaking to the people through the prophet Malachi. And God says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? Because they didn't know. And God says, in your tithes and contributions, bring the full tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put, to the, to put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> you see, every other time in Scripture... It says, do not put God to the test. Every other time it says, why are you putting God to the test? Don't do that. But this is the one time in all of Scripture where he says, put me to the test. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vines in the field. They shall not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You know, if I can be honest, tithing is something that when I'm kind of deviating and kind of coming towards that love of money, it's one of the first things that kind of trips me up. This thought creeps into my head, and it just says, you know, Matt, you know, if you had 10% more, wouldn't that be really nice? And I said, yes, that actually would be really nice. And I said, you know, because you would have 10% more for retirement or 10% more to pay these bills or 10% more for these shiny things. I said, that sounds great, you know. But when, when God brought this response to, to my heart, I, I would, it, it's automatically a catch for me. It's like, you know, when that thought comes up, this is the time to reposition myself, to let go of those things and to embrace the more that God has. And God has always blessed that. You know, every time that I think that tithing is too much, God gives me more. And he reminds me that 100% has come from him, as Mark shared a couple weeks ago. The second question that God gave me was, Matt, do you make decisions out of fear or do you make decisions out of faith? And I was like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, one, that one got to me too. Because I do. A lot of times I do make decisions out of fear. But you know who else does? Almost everyone in the Bible you know, and, and, and I realized that this is common to, to men and women. You know, again, a month or two ago in Exodus, 
from 15 to 17, the Israelites, after this incredible deliverance and stepping into more and God wanting to bless them in this pillar of smoke in front of them, 14 times they reject God and they say, we would be better off in Egypt. We were better off in slavery than in, into the freedom of this land that you're providing for us. And that was because they were fearful. They were just afraid. They wanted what was familiar to them instead of taking steps of faith. You see, it took that time in the desert for God to break them of that, to help them to grow that faith muscle in their hearts so they could embrace more. You see, faith is like spiritual currency that we have. That's something that actually catches God's attention, right? I always, I always wonder, God, what can I offer you? Do you want this piece of paper? Do you want these coins, these metal coins? God's like, I want your faith. You see, Jesus, the, the, kind of the few times that people really catch Jesus' eye is when they have great faith. You think of the centurion when, when he had great faith about asking for his um, servant to be healed. He says, Jesus, you can do it from far off. You don't have to come to my humble house. Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. You know, when the Canaanite woman, you know, a pagan, comes to him and says, you know, even the dogs have crumbs from, from the table. He says, I haven't seen faith like this. And that's something that catches God's attention. And I said, God, what can I do to to position myself away from this fear and build up my faith? And the answer God gave to me was offerings. You see, in Mark 4, 41 to 44, Jesus is this incredible account of people giving offerings to God, right? And so offerings are over and above our tithes. And um, Jesus, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were put and watched the people putting in their money into the temple treasury. Isn't that incredible that you could just watch how much people were giving? We would never do that here, guys. We would never do that here, guys. You know, I, I could see some sweats, sweat kind of dropping down. People. No, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that. And it said, many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You see, being a widow at that time, it was such a patriarchal society that your husband was your security and your safety, your provider. If you didn't have a husband at that time, if you were a widow, you were incredibly vulnerable. All she had was two copper pennies. That's all she had to live on. But can you imagine the faith that she must have had to take all of that, everything she had to live on, and put it as an offering because she saw what God was doing and she wanted to be a part of what God was doing? And then can you imagine Jesus' response of seeing that with laser-like focus? And 2,000 years later, we're talking about that. And in heaven, that's recorded. She has this incredible faith currency that no one is going to take away from her. Moth and rust aren't going to destroy that. Robbers aren't going to steal that. No one is taking that away from her. Because she knew that God was her source. You know, the richest I've ever felt has been when I've made offerings. You know, when I bought a new car, it's great for a while. And then there's a repair, and then it becomes an old car. You know, when I buy a new house, it's great for a while. And then there's a repair, and then it becomes an old house. But when I've seen what God is doing, what God is moving in, and when I've had the faith rise up within me to partner in that, there's this incredible feeling of joy that I have. I never felt as rich as in those moments because I see what God is doing, and I have the privilege of having a part in that. 
And no one is taking that away from me. Nobody. The third question that God gave me, and the final question is, Matt, do you spend more time thinking about your finances than spending time with me? I said, yes, Lord, I do. I do. You see, in Revelation 3.17, Jesus, through the angel, speaks to John and says, you say I am rich, and he's talking to the church of Laodicea, the church of Laodicea. See, they believed in Jesus, but they still struggled with this. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. See, we get all those things from him. We have to buy it from him. He is the source of all the things that we have. You know, a few years ago, I was really struggling with this. I was spending more and more time thinking about my budgets and stewarding and trying to, you know, save 10% here and cut cut this out of my budget and have a little bit more there. And, and I was spending less and less time with the Lord. And the more anxious I was getting, the more time I spent on my budgets and spending more looking at this and looking at that. And, and I was so stubbornly going down that direction that I was spending less and less time with God. And so I wasn't even listening to what God would, would say. And so in those times, God usually speaks to me when I shut off my brain. And that happens every night when I go to sleep because I kind of have to. And so God gave me this really vivid dream. And so what I was standing there in front of this man who, in the dream, I knew was God. I don't think God really looks like that, but it made sense to me in my dream. And, and I said, I was talking to God, and I said, God, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steward this, and I'm going to budget that, and I'm going to save 10% here, and I'm going to do this, and, and you're going to be so happy with me. And, and God said, you know, if you want more money, just ask. And I said, no, no, God, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to steward this better, and I'm going to... And, and don't get me wrong, stewardship is great. It's important, right? But I was taking it to another level, and I said, God, you know, I'm going to just going to... I'm going to do better with this, and I'm going to cut 10%. I'm going to do this, and we're going we're gonna to get rid of cable, and it's going to be great, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have more to do these kind of things with. And, and God looked at me again. Like, if you want more money, just ask. And a third time, I said, no, I'm going to do, you know, all these kinds of things. And again, a third time, he said, if you want more money, just ask. So I woke up, and, you know, of course, what I did was I went back to doing exactly what I'd been doing before that. Because that's the obvious response. You know, I said, you know, I, I must have eaten a bad burrito or something like that. And this clearly, you know, my mind's playing tricks on me. And so I went back to budgeting harder. You know, I just, I really chased after that budget, you know. And, and that didn't really get me anywhere, you know. So three months later, about two to three months later, I had the exact same dream. The exact same dream, verbatim dream. And that's, ne- that's never happened to me before. And this time I woke up and I said, Lord, Lord, I repent. I just kind of went face down. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm so foolish. I, I repent for, from kind of a spirit of control, trying to take control of all of those things. And, and I realized I had just made myself the idol. See, I was just in control now for my own safety and my own security, my own hope and future, my value. It was based on what I could do. And I laid that down before the cross and I said, God, no more of that. Lord, I want you. I want to see you as my source. I want to see you as the source of every good thing in my world. And I ask God, yes, I ask for more, but not for my glory, but for your glory. I want to submit it to you. 
And then a few months after that, the CEO of my company called me up and said, Matt, you want to go out for dinner? I said, you know, you're a pretty busy guy. I don't know why you want to have dinner with me. I mean, are you trying to fire me or something like that? I mean, I, I don't think you would do that at dinner, because, but there are a lot of witnesses, so I guess I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't overreact. And so I was, I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not going to say no. So, okay, yeah, take me out to dinner, okay? But make it somewhere nice. And so he, he took me out to dinner, and uh, he said, you know, Matt, I have, this, I have this new job opportunity for you. And it's, it's, it's going to be this whole different kind of thing, and... And as he was telling me that, I was filled with fear. It's like, I don't know about anything about doing this. How, why would I do this? And it was about taking care of the sickest 15% of people. And I was like, but, but I see a lot of people die, evidently. You know? I, I don't want to take care of the sickest 15% of people. And he's like, no, Matt, I, I know. I know you're going to do great in this. And, and the, but fear was welling up in, in, in me. But as I prayed about it, God raised my faith. And I took that step. And God blessed me with this incredible promotion through it. And I realized that he was the source of all of that. That none of that did I ask for, did I seek it, did I make that happen. God did everything. He did all of that. And I remembered that dream I had a few, a few months ago where I said, yes, God, more, but not for my glory, but for your glory. See, that was the response that God had for me. Was he said, when you're struggling with this, remember that I'm the source. The source of everything. And God brought me to Genesis 13, 8 through 15. You see, in chapter 13, God said Abraham was a rich man, and he blessed him with more. His livestock was multiplying so that the land was filled with him and his nephew Lot's um, livestock, which is the currency of the time, right? And so he had so much that the land couldn't sustain them. And so Abraham came to Lot, and Abraham was the older one, the, the senior person. He could have just told Lot culturally, you know, you're going to go there and I'm going to go here and that's how it's going to be. But he didn't do that. He said, Lot, I let go of this. I submit it to you. Pick for yourself. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And um, let, let not our herdsmen fight any longer. And so Lot looked and he saw the Jordan Valley. And it was lush and green and there were streams flowing in it. And he said, I picked the east. And so Abraham went west to the land of Canaan. And it says, when Lot had departed, the Lord came to Abraham and met him there. And he said, look around you. Look from where you are. Look to the north and the south, the east and the west. All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk the land. Walk, walk the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. You see, God's plans are so much higher than our plans. Abraham was just wanting a plot of land for his livestock. And God was saying, I have this incredible destiny for you and all of your descendants. My ways are higher than your ways. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift. All the good and wonderful gifts that we have, it's from God. Because God longs to be gracious to us. He longs to give us life and give it abundantly. So just to kind of summarize, the three questions that God had for me are, are you concerned more about wealth in this world or treasures in heaven? And that can kind of show us the spirit of greed. And the response to that can be tithing. Submitting the 10% to acknowledge the 100% that God has. The second question is, do you make decisions out of fear or out of faith? And that can be a spirit of fear that also can pertain to our finances. And God's response to that was, 
offering, taking steps of faith over and above your tithe. And the third question is, Matt, do you spend more time managing your finances or more time with the Lord? Again, a spirit of control, self-sufficiency, making yourself an idol. And our response is seeing God as the source and spending time with him. Only he can warm our hearts and remove those idols from our hearts. You know, that picture I had earlier about that fountain and drain, you know, I just felt that for us that there was, there was a second part to that picture. You see, a fountain, it's almost like our hands opened up to God, that our fingers are like the water flowing out. And when our hands are open, they're open to give, but they're also open to receive. See, the Bible says that freely I've given, freely you've received, now freely give. When your hands are open, you can receive, but when your hands are closed, it looks like the drain, the grates of a drain. And I realize at times when I've been holding on to things, whether it be idle or something else, it was like a drain for the life of God in my life. But the times when my hands have been open, I've been open to embrace the more that God has, the more than I've even asked for. And I just felt like for today that there was a kind of a prophetic step that we can take, that if any part of this message has resonated in your hearts, if it's resonated and made sense or God has brought that gentle conviction, that to, I just feel like corporately that we should stand up today. Whoever feels like that's resonated, and just open our hands to God. And I would love to pray for you, that God would bless you, that you would let go of the things that are holding you back, and that God would fill you up with more. So I'm already standing, so I'm going to stand. And I'm going to open my hands up to God. Dear Lord, I just thank you, Father, for every single person here. Lord, and I ask that for those who are opening their hands to you, Lord, I just ask that they would let go of the things that may be holding them back, and that your presence, Lord, the Spirit of the living God, would release them from things that are bringing distraction or draining the life of God in their lives. And Lord, I pray for your blessing over them, that they would come, taste and see how good the Lord is, that they would drink deeply from you, your rivers of living water, that your anointing would flow and their hands would be open to receive that anointing, that those rivers would flow deep within them. And Father, I ask, Lord, that wells that have been blocked would be unblocked in Jesus' name. And I ask, Lord, that your rivers would rise within them. Lord, joy that has been long forgotten, Hope and faith for the future would be restored. Blessings would come forth to this people. And they would receive freely and they would give freely. That they would see their identity in you. They would see their safety, their security in you. They would see their value, their hope, and a future in you. That you would be near to them and that they would rejoice always because you are near. Lord, I pray for a blessing over all of us here today. And we say together, amen. You know, as I was praying for today, I just felt that, oh, you, please be seated. <laughs> but I also felt that, you know, I was praying for, um, for salvation. And I said, God, you know, I just feel like there's someone here who maybe has gone to church for years, and, 
but has never really known you deep in their hearts, never known that joy that is knowing you. And I, was, I said, God, you know, please let there be one person that, that gives their life to you. And God's response to me was, why can't there be two? Why can't there be more than one? And I just pray and trust for salvations. And I, I pray that if God is opening your hearts and if you, if you just feel like you've never really embraced God as your Lord, your Savior, as the source of every good thing in your world, if you feel like you want to know that river of living water, that, that life that is abundant in our lives, I just ask that you just quickly raise your hand so that I can pray for you this time. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for the incredible revelation that you are. Thank you that you have rocked our world, Lord, by revealing yourself to us. And Lord, I pray for that revelation in our lives in greater and greater measure. Lord, I pray that we would know that you are near and walk in deeper and wonderful ways with you. I just pray for a joy that would just bubble up within us, that we would rejoice always because you are near. I thank you for my incredible and wonderful brothers and sisters here today. And I just pray that we would just have this life that you promise abundantly. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.